Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. My guest today is Julia Ellingpo, a game designer best known for her groundbreaking indie RPG, Steal Away Jordan. Steal Away Jordan is written in the spirit of neo-slave narratives like Margaret Walker's Jubilee, Toni Morrison's Beloved, and Octavia Butler's Kindred. As in these fictional accounts of slave life, players will explore the social and psychological implications of life in a society where people can be property. Ultimately, players consider slavery's long-term impact on a society and on the descendants of slaves and slave owners. It's a game not only based on a subject that a lot of people would rather not touch, it also places enslaved people themselves at the center of its narratives, which shouldn't be rare. But here we are. There was some controversy around its publication, although people who actually played the game tended to speak very highly of it. Steal Away Jordan is no longer in print, but I do have a link to the PDF in the show notes. I'm honored to have the designer of such an influential game on the show, and delighted to tell you that in addition to this piece of gaming history, we also have lots to talk about in the present and future of Julia's design and play. Let's get to it. there was like five things now I'm like oh gosh I don't even know where to start um <laughs> tell me where you are this this morning this is like the earliest that I've ever recorded an episode and it, it feels really nice there's like good morning energy here yeah um I'm in western Massachusetts and I'm in my kitchen nice how wholesome yeah yeah, yeah. we have windows on three sides and there's a, a lot of snow. It's actually really pretty because it's in our backyard and I can't see the street. So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your like sort of everyday gaming life look like? Do you have like a regular group um, of either like design or of play? Not at the moment, actually. So I kind of take what I can get. I don't go to a lot of conventions. I have a, I have a, it's been going for almost two years now. I have an instant messenger collab that um, was based on Urban Shadows that I've been playing with somebody for about two years. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Um, and it's, it's also, it's interesting because it's not always awesome. So it's interesting to see how um, the person I do this collab with and I sort of maneuver like life dramas and and how much lead gets into this into our story and and, and I, I did I did something similar with with another friend that was based on a monster hearts game and it was two characters that at the end of the game Kat Jones and I our characters was a hollow and I was a fae we realized like our their stories weren't done <laughs> um, and we didn't we really didn't do that collab online. It was by mail and we would send each other little packages of random googahs and knickknacks in character. So that was really fun. It, it's, it's, it's a really neat experience to send somebody a gift in character. 
and layer the box of stuff in character uh, and, and finding weird rando things to put in there. And, and there was always, there's a theme. We, we had playlists we had, like, so we would send each other playlists on Spotify and this would be like, you know, this is, this is Ping's playlist to say. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the idea of playing by mail. I'm like a big like letter writer and I'm currently trying to figure out, I was like, you know, I would love to have one of these pen pal things be like to, to have like that gamey element. Yeah. Yeah. Kat and I have, have, we, we worked on an epistolary game and then the other things got in the way, you know, like, like life and, and other games. Um, so we set it aside we've, we've written other games together. Um, we've done a couple of LARPs together. So we, I, I love the idea of an epistolary game and I really like the idea of a game that it, in this, this world of everything being online, that an, an epistolary game being strictly like postage, <laughs> you know, you have to send a letter or a little package. So even a postcard. Even a postcard, anything can be in character. But I, I exactly. think it's interesting that you started with a game and then had your characters there, had their sort of baseline there, and then carried it on um, through letters. Mm. Yeah, they. Um, I think one of the the inspirations is that Cat uh, was leaving town; she was moving across the country, and it was a nice way to get in touch, to stay in touch. So, yeah, so it was it was good timing, and and I just remember when we were having this conversation, like I don't really feel like our our character stories were we're done. And, and it, so it went on for a while. We actually did a game, like a, 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 a short campaign with another friend of ours, Kate Friedman. And it was Monster Hearts. And it was sort of a free form, like Monster Hearts, where everybody took part in GMing. And we got to revisit another dimension, uh, another, another, our, our characters in another dimension slash universe. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, those characters lasted and, and evolved and developed and became different things. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's really wonderful. Those those kinds of things can only happen when you have those like long-standing, well-developed relationships with other players. Yes, yes, especially because it is kind of weird. <laughs> so you know, it, it's you know, no no judgment. You know, yeah, I'm totally into this too. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, I think when I brought it up, I was like, so what if we sent each other letters in character? <laughs> you know, like that sort of like, I don't know if this is weird, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good to have people to be weird with. It's very important. S speaking of Kat Jones, who I love, she's been on the show before. I'm a huge fan of the uh, the Katie Stanton games that you two have worked on together. I, I haven't played Candyland, um, but I got a chance to play the one that is like a bachelorette party at last year's living games. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. That's wild. I, I, I had not thought of like, Oh, of course a bachelorette party in all it's like um, frivolity, but also awkwardness it is such a great, great place to put a LARP. Um, did you guys have fun putting that together? <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. And so that was the second one. The first one was set in a feminist bookstore in the seventies outside of, uh, uh, Beaver, Pennsylvania, where Beaver College is, and that is actually that was it. It they changed the name, but there was a Beaver College. Wait, it was really called Beaver College. Yes, yes. I have a relative who went to Beaver College. It is called maybe it's not in Beaver, Pennsylvania, but it's Beaver College, and it's a women's college. <laughs> God bless the seventies. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so pure. 
They changed the name in the 90s. It was in a while. It was big. Um, Beaver College. What was it called before? I think it's Arcadia. I think it's Arcadia University now. Mm, that's vague. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't even um, 2001. <laughs> They waited a long time. I, you know, this part is like, what? You know, that's just like the best name for a women's college. Being a women's the college world. alumni, I went to Smith College, which is like boring. I mean, that's not the college, but you know, the name Smith College compared to Beaver College. But I get it. You know, it just it does open. Wait, did you say you, you went to a women's college? Yeah, yeah, I went to Smith, which is um, actually like twenty miles down the road from where I live now. Um, wow. Yeah, Nancy Reagan went to Smith. Barbara Bush went to Smith. Wow. Um, uh, Gloria Steinem went to Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so was some of that like experience of women's spaces coming into to influence that LARP? Definitely. Yes. Yes. So living in women's spaces in the 80s and 90s, um, when there was definitely a, a, a very specific interpretation of what a woman was, it was interesting. And, and Smith is still sort of grappling with, with that, that, you know, the, the, the identity of, of woman and what that means and what that means to enrollment and things like that. And I think they're, it took them a while. They're finally coming around to it. But so I'm going to be, I'm going to be really frank and kind of mean. Um, when I went to a women's college, you know, I was in my twenties or, you know, late teens, it wasn't always fun. So I had friends, we, we, oh yes, I had friends. Um, we had, my friends and I would, would sometimes talk about sort of, you know, when you do have, I think any, any one group of, of people being together, you know, just like housemates, you know, I, I know I get, I get sick of my family, but when we got tired of each other, we, we kind of went there in, in this very gendered way. So if you got annoyed with your your housemates, you know it was like, oh my god, this is a fucking menstrual hut. Um, <laughs> which you know, I think for, for women, that's one thing that, that women can say. If you're living with women, yes, you can call it a menstrual hut. You know, I, I yeah. Um, and so there's that at, at Smith. There was um, really toxic competition, and on the flip side of that, there was really amazing bonds of um of sisterhood oh god sounds really corny to say that but um my i i have classmates that i still keep in touch with yeah my lifelong friends from from that that space the other thing that i found particularly valuable on an academic level is i left college not having been routinely interrupted by men when i'm making a point so there were men in our classes um, because uh, Smith College is in what we call the five college area. So there's also Mount Holyoke, which is also a women's college, Hampshire College, University of Massachusetts, Amherst, Amherst College, and Smith. And so if you are at one of those colleges, you can take classes at any of the other colleges. So we did have men in our classes, but they were the minority always. You know, there were always like a couple of one or two men in the classes, and that was about it. So... The, the real benefit of that was that I learned how to stand my ground and hold my own in a conversation. And maybe on, on one hand, I left school with this uh, unrealistic idea that 
everybody would <laughs> no 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 man would ever interrupt what I'm going to say. You know, that's men don't do that. <laughs> I didn't experience that. Uh, so yeah, maybe. But on the other hand, it, it, you know, with the first time you see that, you're like, that that is not acceptable. And so you know, I was not socially conditioned to expect that, and I wasn't conditioned to. I don't want to say put up with that because I don't think we put up with it when it happens, but I think we've learned how to sort of maneuver around those things. And it isn't always in a way that, that helps us, but it's a way that, that we feel safest. So yeah, that's one thing that even, even like when I first started writing games and that was where I really sort of had this, this contact with sort of this toxic maleness on occasion. I don't think I got it all that bad, but there were, there were moments. Uh, and, and even around things like race that, I remember just like there was always this feeling like, are are you kidding me? You're telling me I don't know myself. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. How 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 are you any more of an expert than I am in this in this realm? And also, I have a perspective that I feel is valuable. And um, so I think I kind of went into anything that I endeavor with this idea that I, you know. I have something to contribute and damn it. You're going to fucking listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. Even if it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm doing that. Yeah, no, no, it's important. And I think, I, I think there's uh, like a very kind of knee jerk response to uh, women in games saying stuff, right. That uh, from, from people who've, you know, maybe they've been here a long time or whatever. They want to find a reason for you not, to be saying that they want to, they want to find a reason for you to be silent and maybe they're not, uh, they don't consider themselves bigoted enough to say that it's because you're a woman. So they'll come up with lots of other reasons, right? It can be because you're not experienced enough or, you know, you haven't played the right kinds of games or you haven't designed before, or, uh, you haven't played the same kinds of games as they have or whatever. Right. But, but it is always it is always in kind of in the same tone of voice, isn't it? It is, and and it also takes on you know the race thing. Oh yes, the race thing. So I, I do remember when I first put out an idea on the forge that I want to write a game about slavery, and had a couple of very nice people say, sort of questioned my my authority, I guess my my qualification to write a game about slaves in the antebellum South. And maybe it's not enough to say, well, I'm I'm a descendant of slaves, but okay, then how about I grew up in a house with a history professor who was an African-American history professor. So our bookshelves are full of books around slavery. And it was something that we talked about in a historical context. And in fact, my mom flew out, my mom was a history professor. My mom flew out to visit and gave me a crash course in um, basically slave in antebellum sociology and and history a little bit of anthropology a little bit of you know just cultural history so sure i'm maybe i'm not qualified because uh i don't know i don't know why i wouldn't be qualified why why is anybody why is some dude qualified to write a game about elves and orcs well with about anything right and then there's your any like historical period like you weren't there like yeah definitely it's it's called history, my goodness. Yeah. And and there are definitely people who go about it and do it wrong. Um, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can do it yep. very, very wrong. Sure. But at least try and then let people cut you down when you're done. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, that's why you make games in community, right? You you make them so that you can make a really bad version and then other people can help you make a better version. And that's like how that kind of is supposed to work. And you know what? Actually, to, to invoke the good, good name of Kat Jones again, I read this awesome interview with you uh, by her on Analog Game Studies that I'll probably link to in the show notes, where she makes this great connection that when people are drawing lines around like what a game should or shouldn't be about or what a, or what is and isn't a game very often, that's really kind of a, a more socially acceptable way to draw lines around who should or shouldn't have a voice. Oh, definitely. Right? Definitely. Because I mean, basically, you, you, you're sort of putting up on a pedestal your own personal taste. That's a very, that's a, a base piece of that, that argument. It's like, well, I don't like games about play. I don't feel comfortable. So therefore, nobody else is really going to feel comfortable. And so those games are bad, misery tours, and blah, 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 blah. But some people really get into that shit. <laughs> why, why is their, why is their thing so bad? Um, and then, yes, it, it, it's that, well, that means that somebody who wants to write a game that represents that that really shows their experience and it's it's experience that that people aren't accustomed to or don't have to say that that just because it's it's not something that the majority of people experience makes it invalid is kind of bullshit not kind of but it's bullshit yeah just regular old bullshit yeah it's just you know garden variety bullshit it was quite a journey uh doing doing research for this episode and just uh, mining this vein of bad, bad takes on, you know, what I think is considered like a pretty influential and like groundbreaking game. And it's it's literally easier to find white people's bad opinions about the game than it is to find the game. And I, sorry, I don't want to make this episode about me or anything, but I'm just like, this is brutal. Um because the game itself is like kind of like just really mechanically interesting too. There's, you know, I get to read, oh, okay, there's like this, uh, there's this death die. I haven't, you know, people hadn't really seen that before. And, you know, using cards and dice at the same time is really fun. And, you know, this whole idea of like, okay, well, it can be about a slave rebellion, but there's also lots of other kind of goals and things that people had and shedding a light on the domestic light of uh, domestic life of slaves. Like, wow, cool. What a super interesting game. It would be nice to like learn more about that rather than like just read some bad takes. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that was a weird time. That was, that I, I don't, I don't necessarily look at my, like, look upon my, my first game experience or first game writing experience terribly fondly. Ah, that's not true. There, there are parts that I do find, you know, I, 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 I think, um, yeah, I, I went to Gen Con, not having ever gone to Gen Con before and, and just, you know, didn't have a lot of money with me and, and was able to recoup my travel costs definitely and, and have a little bit of money so I could actually eat while I was there too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, that that the 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 criticisms were were really really hard they were i I took i took a lot of criticism criticisms really personally and it became it got to the point where it's really refreshing when somebody says that the layout was bad (laughs) you know okay that's that's (laughs) 
totally. I the, the week I put that that the the whole thing together, I was learning how to do InDesign on a computer that was eight years old at that time. So, um, okay, maybe it was eight, it was like five years old. It was an outdated computer. It was very very slow. Um, I was working with what I had, and I'm not a graphic designer. And I I was doing the DIY DIY punk rock aesthetic thing, and which is something I do, you know, I'm like, oh, I think I want to make some random thing with the junk in our backyard. Um, so yeah, I want to make this this game with, you know, the, the limited skills and InDesign and you know, the shitty computer that I have. And um, so, so yeah, you know, call me on that. That's, that's fine. Although at the same time, you know, when I was at Gen Con, I saw games in the early mid 2000s that had worse layouts by people who were probably doing the same exact thing that I was doing. Like, oh, when I had this idea and I don't really know how to do this and I don't know a designer, so I'm just going to put together what I think I know and copy a book that I think looks kind of cool and go from there. So uh, the other critiques about it, you know, being an educational game, being um, being unplayable because, you know, who wants to play, who wants to play a victim, who wants to play a, a slave? So first, let, why why is the slave always just a victim why is people got up and and did their thing and, and had lives and um had shitty experiences certainly but made america you know i don't want to sound corny but you know <laughs> made america slaves built washington dc so yeah that was that was kind of unpleasant definitely no I, that must have been tremendously hard you know especially as a welcome right, to, as a response to your first game. A game that I think is like, has a, a lot to say. And I think one of the only pieces of 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 like uh, education around that history that I think is very easily accessible that is actually about like humanizing and creating a, a three-dimensional portrait of slaves rather than like educating people about slavery in a way that just continues to dehumanize them. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think even now, you know, the the fact of the matter is that that people of color very often have to demand that others see us as human beings. <laughs> wow, right. I didn't mean yeah, to laugh. That, that that requires work. Like, oh yeah, great. exactly. You know, this was you know this is before Twitter, and it, it's always interesting to, to see just the. the you know, and it actually just dehumanizing other people, especially marginalized communities, is nothing new. Didn't come with Twitter. It it was there. It's been there forever and ever and ever. It's the dawn of time. Let's let's talk about something that you are really like jazzed on. I I, I looked at uh, at your hashtag feminism game. You've come a long way, baby, and uh, it brings it brings some of this complexity, some of this like, well, what does empowerment look like? for women of color and also like what kinds of promises are made to us that that empowerment will look like like well i mean you should you should explain the premise of the game for our audience not me okay so there's um so it's about making a movie and and, and using the bechdel test the bechdel wallace test to to uh you know you sort of gender swap the the characters so it's an action adventure movie and that strict action adventure 
movie kind of thing where, you know, you've got a hero, you've or maybe you've got like a few people who are kind of cool and slick and, you know, smooth talkers and they are on this, you know, it could be like a heist or whatever. But those those heroes are all women. And the men in the in the movie are sort of the cupcakes and, and they are they're the boyfriends and, and all their lines have to do with pining away for the women, the heroes. But in that, so there's there's the gender swap part of it, but because this game is also, there are parts of it that are supposed to be in the Middle East. You're dealing with people with, with um, Arabic names. And so the implication that they're probably um, Muslims or, or Arabs or people of color. And their parts are, are, are gender swapped, but not race swapped. So they're still kind of crapped on. And, you know, I, I don't make games to make people feel bad if you bring your bad feelings to a game that's on you um but but it, it was to sort of go it, it's sort of like that yay sisterhood is global um but sometimes we forget to, to include our sisters of color and and and, and, and try, i want to find a, a sort of a fun way to remind people of that yeah that, that a movie can pass the bechdel test but still be you know the help for example Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I am very excited at the prospect that we are going to see Tales of the Fisherman's Wife completed. There, there are people, so you know, who are like really keeping an eye on that. By the way, there's all the all kinds of these like forum threads and little like requests on Board Game Geek and stuff like that of people saying like, "Does this? I, I heard about this like once on like a podcast, and like, is this going to be a thing? I'm so excited!" Like. What, where where is that project right now? I'm curious. So every year for the past like nine years, I, I've made this resolution that I'm going to finish the game and and put it out there. And last year I did that and actually have gotten even closer to it becoming a reality. So I've been talking with a publisher to help bring it to light. And I'm hoping, God willing, that that it happens this year. And I think it's, it, there's a, a, a much, 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 much stronger chance that it will happen this year or in the beginning of 2019. So yes, and, and I haven't I haven't checked in for January yet on it, with the publisher. So I don't I can't. I don't want to say. Ooh, secrets. But yes, so they're secrets. They're secrets. (laughs) But it's it's coming. It's like really quite possibly coming in the next year. Six months to a year. Yeah. I think to stick with a game for that long, it really has to mean something to you. And I'm wondering, what does Tale of the Fisherman's Wife mean to you? So it was the second game that I I wrote. And when I wrote it, um, so my, my husband does not game. He's, <clears throat> I mean, we we play card games and board games together, but he's not a role playing gamer. He's not into going to game conventions and and things like that. And so, in some way, it was it was a way to I'm gonna say say thanks to him for because you know I say thanks in other ways, but it was um it was a way to include him in this endeavor, in in sort of in talking about him and 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 you know the ups and downs of our relationship and over time because it, it really is a game about people and and relationships and how we don't we don't always choose who we love and we don't I mean we do choose who we love but it, those people come in unexpected um wrapping and you know it, it's it's a game about sort of evolving relationships and also as people evolve in themselves and how 
their interchanges and external changes also um, inform the relationship and can it survive that? And also, you know, what happens when you introduce an unknown entity into a relationship like a demon or a, you know, whatever, and, and, and what happens to the, to the people? Yeah. So I, I really like playing games that where you, you're being, you're, you're able to speak from your own heart and, and I really, I like relationship games too. Like, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think someone said, you know, it, it's a very queer game and I was very flattered by that because I, I think it, it's probably, it's a game that, that was extremely personal, right? Like, so, okay. So Steal Away Jordan had some personal elements to it, but this was really about really, that was, that was the end. Tales of Fishman's life is definitely well, to, super personal. Just so, like, I want to make sure that our listeners are keeping up. I know a little bit about this game. I know that it draws on some cross-cultural narratives of, you know, two people are married and then one of them goes out and has some kind of encounter with an otherworldly, like whether, you know, angel, demon, monster, um, fairy, whatever. And you, you see, like, myths like that crop up a lot. And so then their relationship to their spouse is changed profoundly in some way. Oh, no, that's right. the, the, the co-spouse is also having a similar experience with this otherworldly being, another otherworldly being. Um, so yeah, so they, they, when they're apart, they both have these, these experiences. And then when they come back, it's like, what happens? What has, you know, do they decide to stay together? Are they forever changed? Are they there? And so, so this is a personal game, and it definitely strikes me as a queer game. And I, do you think it's possible to explain how? I, how would you explain how it is? Well, looking at the title, here's one thing I think about. It's Tales of the Fisherman's Wife. And when I first found Ashcan, somebody said, well, do we ever hear about the fisherman? I was like, no, because it's about the wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do, but it's not so much about the wife. Why does the man always have to be there? <laughs> Why can't it just be about the wife? Um, the fisherman is important. <laughs> so the wife. Okay, so you have, you know, you're talking about fisherman and wife, and those are very gendered things, but they don't have to be. The fisherman doesn't have to be a man. The wife doesn't have to be a woman. The, um, the, the other worldly beings can be anything. They, and, um, but there's something that, that's, attractive definitely to you know that 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 the spouse the wife or the fisherman are are fine and so you know there's i think there's also being attracted to the other and and dealing with that and also just being attracted to someone that um someone tells you you're not supposed to be attracted to um, and and all of those things, because you're, it, it's from the the perspective of the characters, they might be dealing with those those voices. I'm saying you're not supposed to be in love with you know a cat demon, but it doesn't matter. Um, so oh, I'm I'm gonna be. I think this weekend I'm gonna go see Shape the Shape of Water. <laughs> so so to me like that's like oh wow somebody somebody did a movie about this game that I've had that's. Totally awesome! I'm so excited to see that. So there's that. That you know, I, I I don't know a whole lot about the movie except that you know a woman falls in love with a fish person. Yeah, fish man. So fish man, yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious. So what is it that strikes you about the game that makes it queer? I think it's 
I think it's not just about relationships that are explicitly forbidden. It's about like loving someone and just not knowing what to do with that or what that can be or what that can look like. That sort of that, that sort of blank canvas of love that can be really awesome and really amazing, but also like just the scariest thing in the world. That's that's queerness to me. Yeah. 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 And and there's there's really no judgment on the specifically written in the game about these relationships that that people encounter that they you know the, the fisherman or the wife can have whatever reaction they do to their own feelings in in monster hearts one thing i i i'm really grateful for and that i really like is that you know when you try to turn someone on you do it regardless of their attraction to who who they say they're attracted to so you know, you just, you just never know. At least for me, never yeah. know. It's, it's a big world out there. You never <laughs> know what's going to turn your mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting that Tales of the Fisherman's Wife kind of takes that a step further and looks at a different set of consequences to that outside of like a teenager kind of high school supernatural setting and into like, well, you can still have like that confusion and that surprise and that unexpected love that's not just a teen thing that can happen to you when you're middle aged you know you can still discover something very unexpected about yourself and what does that mean for where you are at that stage in life yes yes i, I think you know we should never stop learning about ourselves <laughs> and i think over time i think we you know in 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 relating back to queerness so i grew up in the 70s and 80s um, and I was, you know, in my 20s and the 90s. And we didn't have the language that we have now and to, to express our identity. And um, so I think, I, you know, as, as an adult and, and now that, that there is more language and to, to describe different uh, gender and, and sexuality and attraction that <clears throat> we um I think some of us old folks start going, so so there's actually a word for who I am and where I am on on any whatever you want to call it spectrum of gender or sexuality. So I think you know as you get older, like I, I look at my kids now and and they, they have they have words to describe who they are and they're they're you know lucky devils for that. So like when I was, when I started college, um, I remember the first coming out day and one of my good friends who is still a, a good friend of mine, Mrs. Edwin's college said, I'm coming out as bisexual. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> There's a bisexual um, now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is like 1988, 1989. And, and I was like, oh, wait now. That, okay. Yeah. Well, sign me up too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are there any left? Yeah. <laughs> where where can I where is that? What's the eight hundred number? This is this was the eighties. Um, you know, there were no I couldn't email them. <laughs> so so yeah, that 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 realization, you know, I'm kind of jealous of my kids don't have that like that that void of like this is uh, the, the the lack of definition, or even that you know nowadays these young whippersnappers can can well politics aside um, and current political climate aside can can say 
this is who I am. This is how I, I want you to address me. And, and how empowering is that? I know. It's fucking empowering. <laughs> and it's not always going to be respected. And some people are going to be really shitty about it. And it's not always going to work in the, the way that it should. But, but like, it's an option, though. It's there. Yes. And I hope it, it becomes a safe option. It can, you know, I, I take my, my parenting. That, that's, to me, that's, you know, that, that mama bear aspect of, you know, seeing what's happening in the world and, and just being like, every time I hear some shitty thing that some shitty politician um, wants to do, I, I take it so deeply personal. You know, it's not just, you know, you're doing this to, you know, my family, my children, my country, my myself, and fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. When, when you think about those doors that are open, you know, those doors that are there that, that people weren't even aware of in a really broad way, do you think gaming has anything to do with that? Or it can? I think it can. I think when you are given a safe space to try on who you are and what you are outside of what you've been told you are and what you you think you can be, then definitely. And and you know, so so to music and 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 art, so when we see people who look like us, then it's it's easier to to feel comfortable in our skin. And and not only to see people who look like us, but see who people who look like us thriving and being productive and and going about their lives like any other person i think it it definitely helps but in games too because for all my my old lady bitterness about the reception that steal away jordan got in, in you know 2007 i think our community is is very is much more inclusive and not always responsive and and sometimes those gates are still there um, and there's somebody still waiting at the gates, but but people recognize that that's not acceptable and that 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 doesn't hurt people. I mean, that does hurt people. I'm sorry, that does that does hurt people. And also that if you stick to one aspect of of reality and and it's your own, if, if you let, let's talk about economics, like games about one type of thing that only appeal to one group are if that's how our industry is going to be, we're going to go under like every, every industry needs to diversify. So when you bring in other voices that are different, you know, people get, people eat that shit up. So for all the people worried about how the, the negative aspects of, of steal away Jordan, um, there were people who said, yeah, I, this is, this is awesome. Either this, this, I, I see myself in this, and, and, and to be honest, I did have people of color, African-American people who were like, uh, no, I don't want to do this. I can respect that a bit more. <laughs> you know, I can totally respect it. Um, and, um, but also people going, yay, finally, here's, here's, a, here's a game that's not going to, that, you know, put slavery at the forefront of, of the plot and, and the, the, the setting. But you are not playing a victim. You are a slave, but that doesn't mean that the only thing that happens to you is bad shit that you have a chance to do to have good things happen and so when you get a chance to do that in any arena when you get to tell your story 
and not make it the tragic story that everybody wants to hear. I think that that is awesome. I think that was that was something that that came up at a at a panel that you and I were on um, at Metatopia. That I, it's so exciting to see games that that have queer characters that are that are fully realized human beings and can be that that and games that tell multiple stories from different perspectives. And what I just really want to see more is of is games that um, tell stories that of, of marginalized people that that aren't always the tragic the tragic stories because it's not always the tragedy there's you know you think about the first time you fall in love and how awesome and scary but but awesome that is and that can be awesome for somebody who's gay that can be awesome for somebody who's queer it can be awesome for somebody who's black you know, we, we think about how we portray sexuality of other uh, ethnicities in media. And, you know, it's not accurate, <laughs> usually. <laughs> and, and really, white people are the only ones to get the normal relationships. Just a, just a complicated relationship, you know, a relationship with like spats and, uh, and compromises and, you know, right. your texting habits. Exactly. Or, or, you know, staying up late and, um, you know, the other person wanting to get some sleep and somebody's on their phone or, you know, playing video games really loudly or whatever. That's, that's, that happens to people, not just white people, not just, not just, you know, heterosexual couples. And, and I think that there are even, there are aspects of queer relationships that are really like very different and very unique, uh, like that, that are not uh, features of hetero relationships, generally speaking, but they are not necessarily tragic. You know, when you like forget whose underwear belongs to who or whatever, like get, get that into a mechanic, you know, put that in my game, please. I need the representation so badly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of my kids the other day showed me um, her prom dress and she's graduated from high school, but her her partner is still in high school and so i saw the prom dress and i was like oh that's really adorable it's really beautiful and then her girlfriend showed me her prom dress and i was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you know know, speaking of like normalizing something like first there's that 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 mom reaction like this is your second prom that's so cute oh my gosh you guys are just so adorable and then there's like oh my god like In 1988, you know, in my high school, like, what would that have been like? That would have been awesome and and frightening. And and you know, I know that that they're not they're not going to be the only couple <laughs> like that. And, and that just makes me so excited. <laughs> it is. It's a wonderful feeling. Like, yeah, that's just that's just some heartwarming stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, it makes me happy too. They're gonna look awesome. They're I'm, they're gonna be totally the, the the you know the bells of ball. I I'm very <laughs> confident that they looked awesome. Like there's just no doubt in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I just don't understand why they're getting their prom dresses now. It's like January. Prom's not until like end of May or June. But is it sales? I guess the sales are out. So time to get them. Well, yeah. There you go. If they're like gorgeous and also very savvy, you know that's the true that's the true meaning of prom. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. For anyone. 
I want to talk with you about the stuff that you're doing with Living Games because I'm going and I'm. We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, and it just got me like so jized. Like I'm like I like I you know I'm at my sort of standard level of hype for like a cool con, but now I'm just like oh man oh oh man. So you're you're working with the like uh, folks doing social stuff, right? Social stuff and, and the inclusion accessibility. Yes. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that um, I live in Western Massachusetts and, and Living Games will uh, will be in Boston. So I'm near in the state. And Emily Boss also lives in the same town that I do. And she's on that, on the, the whole planning committee, as, as as is Kat Jones. And, and, and Evan Corner is also doing that. And Sarah Lynn Bowman, I think, who did it last year in Austin, Texas, doing the, the planning. So... Uh, Living Games, the, there's the, the EduLARP um, a few days before that, but it starts May 17th, which is most likely going to be the first day of the holy month of Ramadan. And so if you are a Muslim and you're in Boston, you should totally come to Living Games. And we're also going to have an iftar, the first I don't know if we're going to have have one every every night of it or or one. We're still working on that. But I really, 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 really wanted to have an iftar. Part of it was that I didn't really want to go if I didn't. <laughs> a, <laughs> there's that part. Can you explain for our audience what iftar is, in case they don't know? Yes. So an iftar. So uh, let me let me let me backtrack. So Ramadan is a month on the Islamic calendar, and it is the holiest month of the the islamic calendar and during ramadan oh and let me just say this it is a festive month because i know what i'm about to say and describe ramadan probably doesn't sound all that fun but <laughs> believe you me it can be fun so during ramadan we fast we fast from sun up to sundown it's not just about the food although you know because you know 11 months out of the year everybody eats food during the day or whenever so, so you're not eating from sunup to sundown. And it's really great when Ramadan's in December because, you know, sun rises at around six o'clock or so in the morning and sets around, I think it's around 4.30 around there right now. Um, but in the summertime, you know, it'll be like, so I get up usually around four. <laughs> so, so you, you, first you have, um, tour, tour, which is the meal that you eat. So you're loading up for the day and then, and then you pray Fajr, which is the first prayer of the day. And then you don't eat, nor do you use profanity. You're really supposed to temper your, your temper and thinking bad thoughts about people. Like to me, those are the harder things to do than like fasting. And they're not externally visible. So like, yeah. Right. You, you know, you don't, you don't use profanity. You don't have sex during the day. And so then you have, um, at, at Maghrib, which is the, the fourth prayer of the day, you, you break your fast and then you, um, in, in Islamic countries and Muslim countries, Muslim majority countries, Ramadan, the evening is like party central. You, you know, families go out and celebrate and, and it's, it's fun. Because you haven't been eating all day. And this is the time where you get to see people and be with your friends and eat and eat and eat <laughs> until four o'clock in the morning <laughs> the next day. So an iftar is the gathering 
where you, um, you'll, you'll break fast, you'll pray if you're Muslim, and that you will read the Quran if you're Muslim. And the Quran, during that, that month, it's broken into 30 parts and people recite it. Uh, and, and, and even if you aren't Muslim, you are welcome to, to hear the, the words of the Quran. To hear, to hear it said in, in Arabic is, is incredibly beautiful. And, and the language itself, the, the, the words are, are beautiful. It's not what Fox News tells you it, it's all about. <laughs> so, um, or, or what, you know, like Richard Dawkins said it was. So, so an iftar is a party at, 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 at the core. It's a, it's a party. Um, you don't have to be a Muslim to go to an iftar. So I want to have an iftar at, at Living Games. And I kind of want to have sort of do iftar the LARP. So what if we were in a country two options one would be what if we were in a country that you know a larger part of the population um was celebrating uh ramadan and so it was kind of like no big deal to be at a conference that you you know that starts on the first day of ramadan and, and naturally you're going to have niftar because you know otherwise the muslims won't come <laughs> Or, you know, if they are, then they, they, they're not going to go to the masjid or, or you know, they're, they're going to bring their cool Muslim selves and, and say, we're going to have an iftar and, and everybody's invited. You don't have to be Muslim to be there. Or what if, what if it was just a thing that we, um, we made that space and regardless of how many Muslims are going to be there, we just made that space so that any Muslim passing by would be like, hey, I would totally go to Living Games because even though it is the first day of Ramadan and I live far away, I'm going to be away from my friends and family. I at least get my to, to I get to spend some time with new friends and celebrate um, this exciting month. And it might not mean anything to anybody else. But, you know, for me, it, it, it means a lot to, to be able to, like, hang out and, and celebrate and eat good food and and, and not have a pressure. You know, when we have, you know, when you go to conventions and, you know, everybody's carrying food around, that's all well and good. I don't think I've been, uh, a couple of years ago, I was part of a Renaissance fair. I was in the Castle Renaissance Fair. And um, in June and Ramadan. <laughs> uh, and I ended up getting sick. I, I tried to fast one of those days. But it was 90 degrees outside. I was wearing four layers of skirts. And it was not healthy not to drink water. It was really not, not safe. So, so, you know, that says something. It's like, what, what could we have done differently with that? Well, maybe not had this fair the first day of Ramadan, but who's going to think about that? Who cares? Really? I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, who, who really cares? <laughs> not many people. I, I mean, as, as children in, in Massachusetts don't get either Eid off for school. Um, and when I worked in schools, when I, you know, I, I had to take it off as a, as a religious holiday, which, you know, I was entitled to, but what if we, what if we were closed today? What if we, what if schools and municipalities closed during Yom Kippur or, um, you know, had, you know, made, made, it, not so much made accommodations for people fasting during Ramadan, Yes, made accommodations, but not just an accommodation, made a cultural accommodation that, okay, so yeah, there are 50 of us who, who are not fasting, but you know, the, those five of us here are fasting. So, you know, the majority of us are going to modify our behavior 
rather than have these other five people have to modify their behavior or not participate at all. So that's, there's, that's, that's to me, like what, what that I want that, that iftar to be for people to really think about like what, what it's like for the person who's not celebrating Christmas um, or celebrates Christmas in a different way is not celebrating in a way that like is all about Jesus, but it's, or, or is all about Jesus or, you know, is, is not terribly, you know, I go to work every day during Ramadan. In, in fact, last year I went to work every day and sat in, took my break in the same place I did and chatted with the same person every day. And it's funny, like the third day, he's like, do you, do you need lunch money or something? Did you forget your lunch? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so entertaining. I really just want to hear you talking to me. No, I, the night I explained to him why I was fasting and it was, <laughs> There's always times when you sit down at a table and you're, you're the only one not eating. People like to turn their backs and turn around, and and I love that. And sometimes I also can say, you know, I'm 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 good. We're, we're two weeks in. Everybody can eat around me. That first day, watch out. <laughs> you know, you, so just the first five days of Ramadan for me are always really really challenging because you know, I'm sort of adjusting my my schedule. And, um, I, I get up anyway for Fajr, but for me, I get up for Fajr before the sun rises, and for Ramadan, I have to get up before Fajr to eat, and then I finish eating, and then I pray Fajr. So, you know, I the first five days are hard. They're 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 hard because you try fasting and changing your your eating schedule, and and your body does things. Your body goes, "Why are you doing this to me?" You know, I really need my my morning joe so so your body is doing things and your body is also saying you know i didn't sign on to this muslim thing (laughs) (laughs) um and then and then by like day three or four the body's like all right you know i can get with this this is all right i you know so this this is good like my my family watch out moms moms on the war path (laughs) you know it's like i said you're not supposed to like really it's a recharge time. It's a time to, you know, think about re- who you are and, 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 and focus and recenter yourself uh, and reorient your, 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 your practice and your faith. But that means that you have to live in your body and your body wants food. Your body gets cranky, you know, hypoglycemia. <laughs> Not a fun thing. So, so definitely in the first few days, if I'm, I, I want people to feel that, that, inclusion even if they're muslim i think when we make space for people they will come if we make space for people when they're there that's great and we should do that but we might get more people showing up if we make space beforehand anticipatory space i think that was it yeah it was not preventative space it was anticipatory space right and if if living games has the the rep of, oh yeah, that was the place where, yeah, it was on the first day of Ramadan. And what they did was had iftar. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. That's something you can do. Okay. Good to know. You know, who knows what kind of norms you might be setting. Exactly. You know, we, I think all of the, all of the activities happen in the same hotel. So um, you don't have to drive. So it, since it is also on Friday, you know, if you are observing Shabbos, you, you're there. You're right there. And I think it's, it's we, we lose voices when we when we don't make that space before those voices arrive. Because, you know, I, in, in, in some of the planning that we've been doing so far, when we start talking about having, you know, where we're going to orient the meals and have the meals like at one point, I was just like, 
so I guess I'm not going to attend that because the second day of Ramadan is on the start of the first day. And if, you know, it's all about like the lunch bunch, um, I'm, I'm good. You know, so we, so we've also talked about what if we put the food somewhere where it's not front and center, but those who are not observing, um, the fast still get to eat and don't feel, don't, God forbid they feel excluded. <laughs> you know? It's important to center their feelings above all. Yeah. Right. But you know, if you have a table, if you have the, 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 the buffet outside the room, that's, it's a small tweak. It's, it's a small accommodation and it, it, it will speak volumes. It will say, yeah, we recognize that you're doing this thing and, and rock on. We don't get it. We don't want to do it. We don't see any value to it, but, but you do and you do you. I hope someone would see some value in fasting, but you know, I, I can't make people care. <laughs> You, you're, it's true. You really can't make people care about, you know, your faith or anything. But but you can, it, I, I think you can make people see that the benefit and the privilege we have when our our behaviors and our activities are the norm, that when your behaviors and activities that are normal to you uh, are are treated as, as irrational, wrong, bad, uh, and or just plain inconvenient, that says something. Yeah, that, that that really says something. Yeah, so I, I I like this approach because it's like it's this opportunity. Like, hey, we have this opportunity to do something neat because of this schedule coincidence. You know, we have this opportunity to do something a little bit different and maybe learn something and also just like have a cool party. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I mean, if you're if it's if it's if tar the lark, I, I'm I'm even thinking maybe what if I brought some what if I bunch brought a bunch of scarves and people could kind of get the experience of dressing up. I'm not saying wear hijab, but dressing up because you have the party. And um, not every Muslim wears a headscarf. Not every Muslim woman does. I'll follow your lead, Julia. Whatever you're doing <laughs> that Friday, I will just roll up and be like, show me, show me the ropes. I will make it happen. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got to, we got to get the good food, the good dessert. So I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs> um, well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you're looking forward to? Anything else you're excited about or you want my listeners to know about? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see more people of color sort of put together their own gig. Um, New Agenda Publishing, which I'm, I'm totally excited about. So, uh, you know, a, a game production company started by... Uh, oh, Misha Bushyager, right? Yes. And Eloy Lacenta. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm super excited about that. I'm excited about the work that Chris Spivey is, is putting out and, um, and being part of that. And new 7C pieces coming out. 7C? 7C. And the there's a Kitai setting. So New Agenda Publishing is also uh, promote the games of people of color and other underrepresented voices. That's really exciting. Um, I'm I'm stoked to see the work that you're doing for the Sword, the Crown, and the Unspeakable Power. I know you have some other like supplements and bits and uh, and and writing gigs that are to be announced. Um, so I'll I'll be stoked for those when those emerge. Um, yeah, if uh, if if my listeners want to keep up with what you're working on, is there any kind of easy way for them to do that? Hmm, no, not really. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I know you don't really have much of an online presence. You're like doing the IRL stuff all yeah. the time. I well, I, I'm on Twitter. 
And, but fair warning, I, as a lot, a lot of the stuff that I post on Twitter is about Islam and, and forward and about just, you know, the representation. Um, but I do, I talk about games from time to time on Google Plus. What's your handle? Oh, uh, Queen of Pirates. And that's O-V. Oh, cool. Queen of Pirates. On Google Plus, I have a fairly curated circle, but I'm Julia Bond. Am I Julia Bond Dillingbone? Google Plus. I have a couple of different accounts, but I think the one that I use the most it, it has um it has the uh, Arabic calligraphy with rainbows, the word calligraphy for Allah. So yes, I am Julia Julia Ellingbow. So I'm there, and I have to say I love Instagram. <laughs> I don't really talk much about games on Instagram at all, but. I'm very active on Instagram. So, and, and I go there really to, to like, I go there for the representation. I, I go to see, um, to find cool new um, hijab styles and just see friends and family's pictures. And um, I, I, that's like where my, my aesthetic fun lies. But uh, I'm also on Facebook. And again, I don't really talk much about games on Facebook. So probably either Google Plus or um, Twitter. I used to have a website that I, I don't keep up with it. Having a website's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's hard. But I also talk about um, on Twitter, and I'll be doing this even more in you know over time. If you're looking for jobs, I I'm I'm a human resources manager at a social change nonprofit, and um, so I post a lot of jobs there. I talk about employment from time to time. I talk about representation because what we do is really you know we are really trying to um, break cycles of oppression by focusing on whole person and a person's well-being rather than on their problem. So uh, if you're curious, I work for the Full Frame Initiative, which is fullframeinitiative.org, and you can see what we do. And we're, we're a really cool organization, I think. Cool. Great. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll direct people to that as well. Um, I will be probably blogging more there as well. So learn a little bit about inclusion and diversity and accessibility and stuff like that. Cool, cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm I'm really glad that you agreed to come on. I'm like super, super happy about thank it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me a chance to, to talk and talk and talk. I can do that. <laughs> Yay, no, that's, that's what I do. That's what I love to do. <laughs> again to Julia for joining me and as always thank you for listening if you have thoughts on today's episode you can email me at backstorypodcast at gmail.com you can also follow me on twitter at backstorycast backstory is part of the one shot podcast network you can go to oneshotpodcast.com to find more great shows like modifier modifier is an interview podcast with host megan dornbrock that's changing the game when it comes to changing games Designers of every level are invited to discuss what prompted them to hack a game, the kinds of play experiences they hope to create, and the types of stories that they're seeking to tell. I was recently interviewed for an episode, and I can tell you that Megan is a very skilled and generous host. Modifier is totally worth your time. And so are all the other awesome shows at oneshotpodcast.com. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You. You can find Ujiko, that's U-J-I-C-O, on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and probably other cool websites. Talk to you later, friends. Bye.